What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Combo Church Podcast. My name is Craig. And my name is Kara, and we are the lead pastors of Combo Church. If you are listening on combochurch.com, iTunes, or Spotify, make sure you subscribe, follow, and like. We love it when you share with your family and friends, and we would love it if you could leave us a great review. Our prayer for you is that the message today will inspire purpose, encourage life, and build faith in you. Enjoy Enjoy the the message. message. So we are, all right, so 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 is where we're going to be. And we're going to start at verse 11 this morning. And uh, I want to give you about 30 seconds to get there. And I want to remind you that we started a couple of weeks ago a a new series called On Mission. How many of y'all have been challenged in the last couple of weeks to live your life on mission, to seek after the mission of God, to figure out what's going on and how God has caused you to be a part of it? Anybody been responding to that at all in the last couple of weeks? Okay. So that's good. So we're going to get we're going to dive a little bit deeper today, but I want to read this initial passage just to give us some context and then we're going to get into it. Does that sound good? Are y'all going to talk to me today? Y'all going to be alive and awake? Yeah. Remember we're not in a library, we're not at a funeral today. Come on. All right. Verse 11. Here we go. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to pers- to persuade others. And God knows we are sincere and I hope you know this too. Let's go over to verse 14. It says, either way, Christ's love controls us. That's a good thing. If you're going to be controlled, it's good to be controlled by the love of Christ. Amen? Christ's love controls us. Since we believe, now, I, I promised myself I wouldn't interrupt myself reading the introduction scripture, but there's, you need to know this particular passage that we are reading this morning, um, I want to encourage you and warn you, this, this passage today has the ability to greatly encourage you and also has the ability to greatly challenge you. And so it's a warning and an encouragement all at the same time. It's a beautiful package. Okay, now we're going back to it. Let's, let's do verse 14 again. Either way, Christ's love controls us. And since we believe that Christ died for all, somebody say all, that's important to know, we also believe that we all have died to our old life. He died for everyone, say everyone, so that those who receive His new life, not your new life, his new life, will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. Verse 16, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Even in an election season, we have stopped (laughs) evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. Verse 17, guys, this is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. I say that a lot, so there's a lot of them, but this is one of them. This means that anyone, say anyone, who belongs to Christ has become a new person. If you've been in Convo Church for any length of time, I always love to say that God didn't make you a fixed person. He made you a new person. The old life is gone. Somebody say amen. Amen. And a new life has begun. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ 
reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. That's good news. And he gave us, that's you, right? He gave us, you and me, this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are, this is, this is where it gets a little challenging. This is where it's, we got to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. If I was on God's advisory team, I'm not sure I would have advised this step. Be like, God, you do just a fine job without us. We're going to mess things up. He's like, no, I want to make my appeal through you. He says, we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And I'm going to read this next verse. So this is the first verse in chapter 6, but this is the ties in. As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. Jesus, I pray this morning in the moments that we have and the time that we have together, God, I pray for every single person in this room. Father, for those who will listen to this podcast, God, for those who will watch online, God, I pray that you would meet us where we are. And for those that don't know you, Father, would you, through your words, reveal yourself to them, uh, driven by your love and motivated by grace and truth. And Father, for those of us that do know you, God, we, we want to be challenged by you today. We want to go deeper into what you have created us to be and called us to do. And Father, we accept today that there is no limitation in us when it comes to what you want to do through us because we are endeavoring to live the life that you've called us to and the life that you've empowered us to. And we ask it today in the mighty name of Jesus. Somebody say amen. Amen. Okay, so if you are, if you're taking notes this morning, which we always highly encourage you to do so, um, I think Sunday is probably one of the most underrated days of discipleship in the life of Christians. Do you know why? Because we think of discipleship as, oh, it's a class that happens elsewhere. It's a small group that happens elsewhere. It's a one-on-one conversation in a coffee shop. And those are great. Those are part of it. But Sunday, that's just church day. And so we come to church, and if this is you, I ain't picking on you, don't worry about that. Don't get up and get mad at me. But we come to church, and we just sit there, and we observe, and we spectate, and then we go home. So I'm going to challenge you and encourage you, especially if you're a regular, then you got, your, you got a journal, you got your notepad on your phone, you're taking notes, because what we say on these days, what God is speaking when we're at church together, is to challenge your Monday through your Saturday. So we're, we got a Bible study going on this morning, and it's going to give you plenty to chew on and meditate on this week, and hopefully it'll be something that continues to challenge you all week long. Is that okay? All right, so if you, if you want a, a title for today, can the series is on mission today. Specifically, I'm talking about the heart of the mission, the heart of the mission. And, uh, and I was even, I was like, that's, that's, that doesn't sound really catchy. And so I thought about this too, if you need something a little more catchy, work the core, work the core, right? All the workout stuff, they're like, you can do upper body, you can do legs all you want, but if your core is not strong, then it, it's going to copper, you're going to get injuries, something's going to get hurt somewhere. So we're going to work the core today, and the core is the heart of the mission. We're called to live on mission. We're called to live on mission. And I don't want to dive in too hard really quick with the called, because sometimes that's a word where people are like, I don't, I don't know if I am, I don't know if I'm qualified, and so we can tend to, to disqualify ourselves before we even allow 
what God is speaking to come into our hearts. So if that's you, if you're here today and you're not a Jesus follower yet, number one, you're in the right place. This is the place where you can belong before you believe. We love Jesus unapologetically, and we want you to know that he loves you unapologetically. If you are a Jesus follower and you're here today, um, then we want you to know that it doesn't matter whether you think you're qualified or not. God's not looking for the qualified. He's looking for people willing to say yes. Through Genesis to Revelation, God has always been taking yes people. God wants yes people because it's the yes people who don't look at what they can't do. It's the yes people who look at what God can do. Okay, all right. I'm, so, I'm glad I got like three people talking to me this morning. <laughs> so there's three ways. There's three ways that you can be a follower of Jesus. At least these are three that I found. Maybe you can think of more. Three ways that you can be a follower of Jesus. You're e- you either follow Jesus as a spectator, and a spectator who follows Jesus. And again, these aren't judgment statements. These are observation statements. Typically, when you spectate something, there's not really a level of commitment. There's not a level of sacrifice. It's, it's more based on comfort and feelings. It's kind of easy to walk away from, easy to dismiss when Jesus begins to challenge your life. Uh, when, when you're a spectator, you don't necessarily value spiritual leadership in your life. You're just kind of on the outside looking in. Now, you can also follow Jesus as your interest, something that you're just interested in. When you're interested in something, you're kind of checking it out. Minimal commitment, maybe there's some, there's a little bit of sacrifice. Uh, a lot of times when it's about your interest, it can be based on uh, your likes and your dislikes, your comfort and your, and your comfort level. But still, when Jesus comes to, to touch on things and to grab hold of things that are in your heart that he wants to change and transform and, and shape, when it's just an interest, it's still pretty quick to walk away from when it gets uncomfortable. And so you can follow Jesus from a, from a place of interest, but that's not what God's looking for. Jesus, he's looking for people who will follow him as Lord. Jesus followers who follow Jesus as Lord. These are individuals who are on the outside in. They, they tend to seem a little crazy. Why, does it seem, why do they seem crazy? Because they just they seem to be all in with everything. They, they seem to be everywhere all the time doing everything. They're the ones that you look at and you're like, don't you have a life? Don't you have a family? Don't you have a job? And their response is, yeah, and it's, it's all working together. It's all intertwined together. But they're all in. They're faithful. Even when, even when they mess up, they always return back to serving the Lord and, and presenting themselves before the Lord, fully sub, uh, submitted to Jesus as Lord. Jesus doesn't want to, we can't, remember Jesus is your homeboy. Remember that? That was like late 90s, early 2000s. <laughs> Jesus, and they had the t-shirt. I think it was at like Journey. You can go to the mall and Journey and get it, yeah. How many of y'all still got it? Okay. And Jesus, yeah, of course he's your homeboy, but he wants to be your Lord. I think we, we kind of had this, this season in the church world where we began to try to make Jesus more marketable and more presentable to the outside world. And there was some great intention and even some, some success in kind of making Jesus more approachable, right? But at the same time, I think we may have gone a little too hard in that direction and made Jesus watered down. And we don't want a watered-down Jesus. We want a real Jesus. We want a relatable Jesus. We want a relationship with Jesus. But we don't want to take away the lordship of Jesus in our life. I know when we're in America, we, don't have, we have a hard time. Like, what's a lord? You know, is, that's not, is that like a senator or is that, a, is that like a government official? I don't know what to, what to do with that. But when, when you have a lord in your life, it's someone who you are fully submitted to and follow without question. 
Now, sometimes there is with question, but you still end up following. I'm just like, I haven't followed Jesus without question. There have been plenty of questions in my following of Jesus. But you always come around to realizing, man, he gave his life for me. He loved me when nobody else would and when nobody else had any reason to. He died for me. He rose for me. He has given me new life. He's given me what I never once in any aspect of my reality deserved. I think I want to follow this man. Follow Jesus as Lord. So, so those are kind of different aspects. You know, kind of always this is the challenge point. Evaluate yourself. Like where, where am I in that, in that spectrum? And it's possible you could be in all three at multiple different times in a given week. Like sometimes during a week you could be a spectator for Jesus. Sometimes you got an interest and other times you have moments where you're like, I'm all in. And that's okay. Have grace for yourself. But let's continue, right, to move in the direction of being all in. Make Jesus our Lord, following him sacrificially. Because what uh, somebody told me, I'm trying to remember who, because Amy, you mentioned this recently. Somebody's quote, and I'm, I'm going to miss, I'm not going to remember who it was. But they said, make your discipline your delight. Make your discipline your delight. Sometimes initially when you're following Jesus, it takes you build discipline in following Jesus. But the more something is a discipline in you that becomes consistent, eventually it becomes a delight. So initially, like sometimes when you're serving, serving in church, serving on team or trying to help people, at first you're like, I'm doing it because I know I'm supposed to do it. <sighs> okay, I'm here. But eventually the more you get into it, the more like if you're greeting at the front door, the more you begin to realize that your smile is actually impacting people as they come in. Because not everybody had a bunch of people smiling at them this last week, anybody. And so you come to God's house, and all of a sudden there's people smiling. You're like, are these people for real? Maybe they are. This is kind of a cool environment. Like your smile begins to impact. So our discipline can eventually become our delight. And the more it's your delight, it's going to also become somebody else's delight as you go. All right, so something. Um, so every, every mission has a heartbeat, every mission. Doesn't matter what it is, every mission has a heartbeat and it's something at its core that unifies everybody who embarks on this mission together. Because we can, we can all, if we don't have a defined mission and we talk about mission and then we say, all right, Monday through Saturday, go out on mission, we will scatter in different directions. Some of us, some of us will just stand still because we're like, I don't know, we're, what are we doing? we're on mission, run, you know, it's like, where, just go, you know, we got to be unified, we need to know what is the heartbeat of the mission that God is calling us to, and so in 1 Corinthians 14, 8, there's this one beautiful verse, it says that, and it's kind of a, paints a picture in a military term, it says, and if the bugler doesn't sound a clear call, how will the soldiers know that they are being called to battle, and so what is the rally cry of God's mission, the rally cry of God's mission is reconciliation, Reconciliation. So let's define this so that we understand what we're, what we're saying. We want to be on the same page together. Defining reconciliation. Here it is. To reestablish proper, friendly, interpersonal, thank you, dictionary, relationship after having been disrupted or, disrupted or broken because of presumed or real provocation. It's also overt behavior designed to remove hostility, reconciliation and restoration of an original, friendly relationship. Now, here's something that's interesting about this. You know, we're, we're painting a picture of relationship that has been broken at some point. And because that relationship has been broken, there is a need for something to happen, for reconciliation to happen, to bring that relationship back together. Somebody has to repair the broken relationship. Now, here's something that is interesting, because when you, when you study the word used throughout Scripture, most of the time, 
the party who goes and initiates reconciliation is in doing so admitting the guilt on their part for breaking the relationship to begin with. So basically, if you hurt somebody, it's your responsibility to go to them to reconcile that relationship. But something you got to know about the kingdom of God, God tends to operate in different terms. God, God does things opposite of how we do things. Has anyone ever experienced that? Like God, God works backwards. If you want to be first, God says, become last. If you want to become great, God says, become the least. If you want to, if you want to, if you want to uh, grow, if you want to get, then God says, that's great. Why don't you start by giving? You're like, how can I increase by decreasing? That's the kingdom of God. That's the paradigm and how God works. Same thing with reconciliation. God has never done anything in our life or in our world that deserves him coming to us to say, hey, I messed up, I'm sorry, I wanna make things right. But God, motivated, motivated by his love, empowered by grace and empowered by the truth of his own identity, says, you guys are the one who broke relationship, but I'm the one who's gonna restore it. That's good news. That's really good news. Because if it wasn't for the grace of God that poured in and really inserted himself back into our world and into our life, we are stuck and we, we are dead in our sins. I hope this week you go back over the Second Corinthians chapter 5 and read it over and over and over again. Because the more you read it, the more you will be challenged by the amazing grace of God. And by the fact that he inserted himself into our life to pay the penalty for our sin so that we didn't have to, but his goal ultimately is to have our relationship restored with him. That's the mission of God, restoring intimate relationship back with humanity. But doing so in a way that completely supersedes all of our sin, all of our imperfections, not counting against us the things that God has every right to count against us and saying, you know what, because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and because he died on the cross, took the punishment of your sin, and then because he rose from the dead and conquered the results of sin, now we get to have new life. Not a fixed life, not a duct tape life, but new life in Christ. Amen. Amen. So, so let's go ahead. So as, as disciples... You know, on mission, Jesus' followers, disciples, that's, that's what Jesus is looking for. Disciples are not only people who follow Jesus. The heart of a disciple of Christ is to also go out and make disciples of other people. We want people to follow us only if we are following Christ. Here's the thing. Most people, you realize it or maybe you don't, we're all discipling somebody in some way. We can either be intentional about it and make sure that we are following Christ and those that we are influencing and impacting and teaching, either directly or indirectly, are, are receiving what we are following, or they're going to be watching our life, they're going to be watching who we are, they're going to be watching our example, and they will be impacted in some way, shape, or form. If you're here and you're a parent, you are the greatest of disciple makers because you have kids who are watching every move, listening to every word. You don't think they are. They are. They're listening to every word. They're soaking in every response. And I'm telling you, as, as parents of three children, it is a terrifying reality. 
the very first time that you hear your kids say something that you said, but you don't want your kids to say, and you hear them say it, you're like, where'd you hear that? You. You're like, oh, complete failure. Okay. No, it's intimidating, but, but in every aspect of life, right, we have the opportunity to influence people. How much more so? There's a reason why when we look at our world around us today, there's a reason why there is such a negative connotation to people who asterisk their name with the word Christian. Because we have not done a fantastic job of making sure that we are following Christ as we are an example to the world around us. Yet we continue to hang on to the title of Jesus follower or Christian. And so that's why even now people come and say, what do you, what's your religion? What do you believe? And, and at first I'm like, I, I'm not religious. I don't do religion. They're like, what? what do you, I'm a pastor. Okay, that doesn't make any sense. Like, and the reason is because when you tell somebody you're a Christian, there's a thousand things they can think to define based on their experience, based on whatever. So that's why I tell people I'm a Jesus follower. I'm a Jesus follower. I, I'm, I'm doing my best by the grace of God to, to know Jesus, to know Christ, to, to learn how he lived and to follow after that example and hopefully try to make an impact in line with what Jesus did. You know, And so that's why there, there's work in the church to be done, not to not necessarily to go back and change what we've messed up, but to even reconcile ourselves back to the world. We've got, we've got work to do. Luckily, it's something that God's been involved with for a long time. He never quit. He never stopped. He never made a mistake. He's just waiting for us to catch up, and I'm grateful for the grace of God. Anybody else? Okay. All right, let's take a couple of moments. We're gonna, I just want to kind of, pound through this main text again. We're going to kind of go through it um, verse by verse, because there are some things here that I really believe God wants to get into, into your spirit today, into your soul. And so we're just going to kind of go back from the very first uh, verse 11. And it says, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. That's, Paul starts out pretty, pretty hot and heavy right here. We understand our fearful, that word fearful in this context doesn't mean that they're scared. It's this, this, this responsibility that Paul understands he has to the Lord out of an awe and a reverence for who God is. That's the fearful responsibility. He says, because of that responsibility, we work hard to persuade others. Do we, do we, do we embrace that in our own life? Do we wake up on a Monday morning realizing that today is not the worst day of the week. Today is not a horrible reality because ah, another week, got to punch a clock, got to do what I got to do. And, or do we wake up realizing that in the sphere of influence where God has placed me, because you're not working where you work by mistake. It may not be your dream situation, but it's not by mistake. You're not in, you're not in the family that you're in by mistake. You're not living in the time in history by mistake. You're not living in the most beautiful region in the world. I'm just going to say it. By mistake, I'm a little biased. No, God has put you where he's put you for a reason. So are we waking up every single day with a fearful understanding of the responsibility that we have to the Lord? And as a result, we work hard to persuade others. <clears throat> we, can't, we can't go back to being spectators. God's wanting to take us, if we find ourselves in one of those categories, I'm a spectator, you know, I'm, a, I'm interested in Jesus. Like, don't, don't, that's not a, you know, don't be judged because of that, but understand that God's looking to move you forward. God's looking to take wherever you find yourself right now and help you take that next step in the direction of following him. 
And, uh, and he's actually been doing that for you since before you even were aware of it. He's been trying to move you along, been trying to call you on. Verse 14, it says, either way, Christ's love controls us. And since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive this new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. What, what is or should be controlling us? Is it, is it our emotions? Is it, is it just being raw in the moment? Are you the type of person where you're like, this is just who I am, this is how I do it, and so just get used to it? Or are you somebody who's willing to kind of take a step back and say, okay, it's, there are things about my personality that are God-given, but that doesn't mean that every expression of my personality is God-given. So maybe I need to reflect on what is from the Lord and what is a part of my old self that I'm still hanging on to. You know, if it's, you can have a strong personality, but operate that personality through the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, or you can allow the personality that God has given you to still work through your flesh, which, is, which can be anger, it can be selfish, it can be rage, it can be outbursts, it can be selfish, it can be all these different things. Same personality, same gift, but different expression. As Paul says, either way, it is Christ's love that controls us. Now, that obviously, it's, that, doesn't, that takes a little partnership, doesn't it? It takes a little effort because you don't just wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, I'm being controlled by the love of Christ. You know, you, you, you got to do something. You got to decide you're going to be a part of this situation. Control doesn't mean that you have lost control. Control in this context of what the scripture is talking about means that you have surrendered your control. You have surrendered what comes natural to your flesh and to your mind so that what is supernatural and is already inside of you, if you are a Jesus follower, can actually come through within the personality that God has given you. Yeah, we, we, we can be pretty messed up sometimes, but listen, let's not lose sight of the fact that there is so much inside of us that's actually in there by the seed of God. Planted in us, personality, likes, dislikes, uh, things that we react in different, different situations that are actually from God. But we just have to make sure, have I surrendered my, my, myself to the love of Christ in these moments? Or am I still hanging on to this old life, this old way of thinking, this old way of reacting to people, this, this old way of dropping bombs on social media with people that I don't have to look in the eye and I can just walk away from? Or am I letting the love of Christ move through how God created me so that I can impact people around me? Verse 16, it says, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. This is so powerful. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. Paul was talking from a little bit of uh, firsthand experience here. He, he, he knew Christ before he was a Jesus follower, but he saw him in a different way. He actually saw Christ as a threat because he didn't believe. And even the other disciples, when, when he, can you imagine following Jesus in the flesh for three and a half years of his earthly ministry, seeing the signs, seeing the wonders, the miracles, and still not grasping the clear truth of the purpose of Christ. They still were waiting for him at any given moment to, to, uh, to overthrow the Roman Empire and to restore the earthly kingdom of Israel and for him to become the king. And it was literally not until he died 
and he went into the grave and then rose from the dead. And somebody comes and says, uh, I went to the grave and he ain't there. The, some of them were like, huh, I wonder if what he said, you know, it's, you just kind of wonder, it's like, man, if I was there, I think I would have figured it out before those guys. Maybe, maybe not. We don't know. But, but we got to understand something is that, that if, if, they, if they looked at Christ in a human point of view, then there is, a, there is a chance that we might struggle with looking at people from a human point of view. Which means that, that when we're looking at them through our eyes and not through the eyes that God has put inside of us through the Holy Spirit, we, we only see from the outside. We don't really see people the way that God sees them. And I'm telling you, you need to be, number one, glad that God sees you the way that he sees you, not the way that other people see you, not the way maybe you came from a, from a broken home situation growing up and maybe there were things said to you, done to you, spoken into your life that did not agree with what God says about you and, and you've been dealing with that your entire life, trying to, trying to wrestle with your identity, trying to wrestle with your worth, trying to wrestle with what other people have said about you, what you will never be, what you'll always be, what you'll never accomplish. You know, I mean, all the while, God's trying to get hold of you. And God's trying to say, hey, no, 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 don't worry about that. I know that hurt, but I want you to know how I made you. I want you to know what's inside of you. I want you to know what's possible. I want you to know that you are loved. I want you to know that your identity in me is a great identity, that you will do great things, that you will succeed, that you will live and you will not die. That's because God sees you through the eyes of how he created you. And he sent his son Jesus so that there could be a process to remove our sin and remove the barriers that we have so that we can come into relationship with God. So it doesn't stop there, though. That's when we become a Jesus follower. That's when we become a disciple. But it doesn't stop there because now we have this, again, ridiculous strategy from God to make us his mouthpiece. <laughs> and to make us his, I'm getting ahead of myself, and to make us his carriers. But it has to start with us realizing that, man, we gotta, we gotta listen, church, we gotta stop demonizing people around us. I'm not, I'm not talking to you. Y'all got it figured out. Y'all got it. I'm talking for those that like are watching online or, or you share this with that person that, you, that you're like, yeah, you need to stop treating me like that. No, we, no honestly, like we, we have to do a better job. And, and, and it, it ebbs and flows, right, with culture, with things that are going on, with current events, with pop culture, whether it's politics, whether it's, you know, hot button issues in our culture. We, it, it, it always goes a little bit hotter, a little bit colder. But either way, we got to make sure that we are being controlled by the love of God. Yeah. You know what's cool about the truth of God? So, so truth, this is off topic, truth and grace are not two separate things. Because grace is not what grace is without truth. Do you see what I'm saying here? I'm talking about the truth of God's word. And truth with, without grace is, is not truth. Truth without grace is religion and legalism. It's you're messing up what you should be doing, and let me tell you how bad you're messing it up. Grace says, grace doesn't remove the reality of the truth. Grace just makes sure that we're not giving to people what the truth says they deserve. The truth says you deserve this and how you're acting. Grace says, but, but I'm going to love you anyway. Because that's what God did to us. So, so it's not just grace like, oh, it's okay. I know, you've, I know you refuse to change your life your lifestyle and you refuse to, to, you know, to walk away from the things that are causing so much carnage and brokenness in your life. It's okay. Grace, you know, no truth says you need to stop what you're doing. 
You can't continue to live this way because not only is it going to destroy you, it's going to destroy everyone that you love. But you need to know, I'm not going to treat you based on what your actions deserve. I'm I'm still going to love you. And you know what? You need somebody to walk with you. I'm going to walk with you. That's how grace and truth work work together. They complement each other. Now, how do you how do you uh, how do you have truth and grace? How do you make sure they line up all the time? Because they have to be motivated by the love of God. That's the thing. That's the thing that brings grace and truth together. Is one is the motivation behind it. Sometimes you can have the motivation behind bringing truth can be because it just feels really good to smack somebody upside their head. And then be able to misquote scripture and say, hey, it's just truth and love. It's just truth and love. I've done it. I've done it. I'm guilty. I've done it. I'm not going to try to say I haven't. Just speaking the truth and love, brother. You know, shwack, you know. And no, no, it's bringing grace together because the, not, not my interpretation of what love is, but the demonstration of how God showed us what love is, that's what's going to bring grace and truth together. So we've got an opportunity to make sure that we're not evaluating people from a human point of view. But we got, we got, that's, that's hard. We, gotta be, we have to ask God every single day, help me with this. Help me because there are a lot of people where all I can see is what's right in front of me. And it ain't pretty. And God's like, no, it's okay. That's, you, you, you did that to me. So I'm going to help you with this. I'm going to help you have the same grace for other people as well. Let's go down to verse 18. It says, all of this is a gift from God. I mean, come on, a gift, a gift. Do you know what a gift is? A gift is something that you did not earn. A gift is something that somebody chose to give freely to you. Doesn't matter. It's not this naughty or nice checking the list twice. No, that's not the grace of God, even though we, I'm not going to say what it was. We passed a church this morning. I'm like, and they had, you know, the marquee where they put clever words on it. And you drive by and it was like, uh, I've got a list and I'm checking it twice. God. And I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, I'm going to crash my car into this thing and then drive away. <laughs> Whatever. But here, here's the thing. It's a gift. What God is trying to do in us is a gift. It's not something that you can earn. It's not something that you made the list and God checked it twice and he's gonna find out if you've been naughty or nice and if you've been naughty, you're off the list and if you've been nice through your own efforts and your works and your whatever, then you've earned his favor. No, it's a gift from God. And the gift is that God brought us back to himself. He reconciled us through Christ and God has now given us. Hey, here's a cool thing. It's like God saying, here, I'm gonna give you a gift and you're like, sweet, that's awesome. And you, you get this gift and it's reconciliation. And now you have unlimited, intimate relationship between you and God. And now God's saying, now, great, now I want you to give this gift to somebody else. And it's not just between you and them. I know in a side point ministry-wise, I know that when we talk about reconciliation, we cannot look past the reality that there are people in our lives, personal relationships that we need to reconcile. And maybe it's somebody in your life that, they don't deserve you to reconcile that relationship. Maybe they did something really bad. Maybe they really hurt you. Maybe they've really rejected you. But is it the example of Christ that, he's, that God's trying to get after? That we would be people who would not wait for somebody who wronged us to come and make it right, but that we would actually go to those who have wronged us and attempts to make it right. That's the heart of, of reconciliation. I think that's what God's trying to get at. It started with Christ, and now he's given it to us. Now here's, this is where, you know, verse 20, this is where I, 
Again, I, I would have counseled God in a different direction, but I would make a horrible God, so I'm good, I wasn't on his board. But the reality is, is that it says we are now Christ ambassadors. We are now Christ ambassadors. And, and we know with that, you know, the word ambassador, even that position, a government position, you're not, you don't get to speak for yourself. You're not representing your thoughts, your opinions, your actions. You're representing somebody else. And so everything that you say, everything that you do within the role of an ambassador is to represent somebody else. That's why even with, with nations and ambassadors and embassies, it's so important that, 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 that an ambassador doesn't uh, get sent to a post who isn't trusted by the person that they have to represent. And it's crazy to me, it's just crazy to me that God would say, now that you have received this gift from me, this gift of reconciliation, now I am sending you. And you're like, you mean, you mean like pastors, right? Like, like the super, really spiritual people who never make mistakes, who speak into microphones and stuff, right? That's who you're, no, shaking my head. No, that's not, God's talking to you. He's talking to me. He's talking to anybody who's willing to say, yes, I've received this gift from God. I, I am now reconciled to God. My past is, is forgiven and done away with. I've been resurrected with Christ, a new creation, a new person with a whole new future, not that one that I deserve, but one that's been gifted to me from God. And now Jesus has called us to live on mission as his ambassadors in the sphere of influence where he has placed us to go and demonstrate and give the same gift. And here's the thing, we're not trying to attract them to us. Like that, that ends up being part of what, how God uses you. He uses relationships. We're not trying to attract them just to follow us. Hey, be like me. I know Paul said, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And so that's why we have to be intentional. We have to be careful. We have to be, we have to be growing in our own relationship with God so that what they do see through us is something that's going to challenge and empower them, hopefully in the right direction. But nonetheless, we get to speak for God. It says we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. I want to, um, and I think this, tie, this ties back all the way to that very first verse in 11, where Paul says, we, we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. Fearful in the sense he understands the great responsibility it, does for, it is for us to live our life as a light in the world around us. And, and church, I want to, we have to be so careful. I'm not saying we have to walk on eggshells, not at all. We need to be bold. We need to be unashamed. But we have to understand that the light that we put out and what attracts people and what they see is something that will hopefully point them to Christ and point them in the right direction. Because if, we are, if we're living just like the rest of the world and we're acting just like the rest of the world, and we, but sub, sub, we've got Bible verses where we can justify what we do because we've taken them out of context and we really don't know what the heart of what God has been trying to say. If we start, if we start doing that, then, then we're actually making somebody twice as much of a devil as we were before we came and encountered Christ. And so there's an intentionality that we have to be careful with. This isn't about doing everything perfect. This isn't about not making mistakes. This isn't about being religious and legalistic about yourself. It's about understanding how great of a price it was paid for your relationship with God. And now that you've been a recipient of it, God desires for us to live on mission together through this heartbeat of the mission, which is reconciliation. So that's why we can be unified together when we say, all right, church, ready? Go on mission. One, two, three, let's go on mission. We don't have to just run in different directions and, and try to be busy. We go back to the world where God has placed us 
the relationships, the families, the jobs, the communities, the neighborhoods, the schools, whatever it is where God has placed us and we begin to live as a light in a dark place to help reconcile people and give them that same gift that God gave us. Amen? So here, here's a couple of scriptures here just in case you don't think you're, you're qualified to be used by God in this way. Romans 10, 13. Uh, and you, you, don't, you can, if, you, if you're fast, you can turn there, but you don't have to. You can write this down. Romans 10, 13. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's such good news. That's good news. Don't, don't let anybody teach or preach you any junk that says that there are some people that God's already chosen to go to hell. I will argue with you all day, all night, because my Bible says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone kind of paints a picture, doesn't it? It paints a picture that is all people. It's all encompassing. It, it means that why, why in the world would God have a desire that he himself can't even fulfill? It says that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved, but check this out. But how, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. Not pastors, preachers, teachers, you, me, all of us who have been recipients of this reconciliation, who are now in relationship with God, we're the ones with the beautiful feet, doesn't matter what shoes you're wearing or not, that go out and tell somebody. Can you imagine? Don't, and I'm gonna say something. Y'all better not give me, take it out of context and get mad at me. Imagine you were walking around with the perfect potion that would make all the COVID disappear. But you were afraid to share it because you were afraid of whether people would receive it or not. That's what the gospel is. Man, that's such an understatement. I apologize already. But you understand what I'm trying to say, right? We're walking around with the cure for what the world needs. But we've allowed some voice, whether it's our own, our own lack or whether it's the enemy trying to discourage us, be like, they're just going to think you're religious. They're going to judge you. They're not going to accept you. It's, no, we've got what they need. Why are we keeping it to ourselves? <clears throat> Here's another one, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. Verses 9 and 10. Again, Paul's speaking here. He says, each time he said, my grace is all that you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So good. This isn't about our gifts. This isn't about our confidence. This isn't about whether we know the right thing to say at the right time all the time. No, it's just about us realizing if we're willing to say yes and be a yes person for Christ, then his strength is gonna come through in our weakness. Last one, Matthew 11, um, Matthew eleven twenty nine, verse 29 and verse 30. This is Jesus speaking. Because sometimes, well, let me just read this first. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Actually, in that context, that word yoke 
which, you know, is, was actual physical thing. They would put around an oxen for plowing, all that type of stuff. But in the context of the Jewish community, that word yoke was also a word used to describe the teaching of a particular rabbi. And so the, the yoke that Jesus is speaking of is the teaching that Jesus carries and the teaching that he is, for those who are receiving his teaching, that they would take upon themselves. He says, take my yoke upon you, let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. If, if following Jesus is wearing you out, we're missing something. Because serving God in any capacity is actually going to give you rest. You're like, man, that hasn't been my experience. Okay, pray into that. Pray into that because I believe that God wants to show you something. I believe God wants to open up your eyes and open up your heart to something else that, that is quite possible that, that what is wearing you out is you with good intention trying to do something good but not doing it through the right spirit. Because when you do it through your own strength, it will wear you out. But when you do it out of response of joy and worship to the Lord, it actually gives you rest, it actually charges you, it fills you, it builds you back up. My yoke, you gotta understand, there is a yoke. There is a burden. Like, there is, like when you follow Jesus, there is a burden that is placed upon you. But you have to understand that it's light. It's not gonna weigh you down. It's not gonna be more than through the power of God that you can handle. I throw that last part in there because some people misquote all the time. God's not gonna give me more than I can handle. Yes, he will. That's actually, it's called following Jesus. He's gonna give you more than you can handle all the time, but that's because he wants you to re rely on him. Amen. If it was in your strength and you didn't need his strength, then, then, uh, then we would never have what we couldn't handle. But in life, God's gonna give us a whole bunch of what we can't handle because he wants us to partner with him. And he wants us to see him come through our weakness and be strong. So don't be afraid of your weaknesses. Just give them to God. Come on, God's power and God's grace is what's gonna come through when you decide to say yes, even in the midst of your weakness. Amen? Maybe you wanna come up. I'm gonna wrap this up right here. So here's, here's the last thing. So how do I live? Let me make this super practical in probably about three minutes here. How do I live as an ambassador of reconciliation? First thing, respond to God daily as a reconciled person. You gotta choose every single day. You gotta choose to respond to God as someone who is reconciled, someone who is loved by God. You need to continue on a daily basis to remind yourself and see yourself the way that God sees you. If you don't, if you don't do it every single day, I'm telling you, firsthand experience, if you don't do this every single day, like the way that you see yourself in your old self, boom, comes back like that. You look in the mirror and you're like, I, I don't have what it takes. I'm not good enough. I sinned again. I messed up again. I, I, I keep falling back. You know, so you begin to, your flesh begins to try to resurrect your flesh. But God's saying, no, I want you to remember every single day when you wake up, I want you to remember who I say that you are and live as a reconciled person. You are forgiven, loved, redeemed. You are powerful. You are dangerous to the devil. You are capable, you are qualified, called, and you are the image bearer of God. Number two, you need to ask for God's help every day. 
unless you've unless you've just surpassed all, you know, you're just at the top of the charts or something like that. No, we need, we need God's help every single day. Everybody, it doesn't matter whether you are 20, 30, 40, 50 years into following Jesus and you read your word for hours every day and you fast and you pray or whether you are waking up and you're not even sure if you're actually saved or not. No, every single one of us, we still need to ask for God's help every single day. And not just for ourselves, we also have to ask for God's help every day in how we see other people. We're remembering how God sees us and then we need to take that same revelation and apply it to how we see other people. And here's the third one, be unashamed of Christ in your sphere of influence. And I, that may be different for different people, I get it, and that's okay. Just, just be diligent where you are in your journey. Maybe being unashamed of Christ means that when conversation about God and religion comes up, then you, you pipe up and you're like, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus, I'm a Jesus follower. Maybe that's all you got. Maybe like, I'll tap out. That's all I got for today. <laughs> but that's okay. Like, take that one little step. Maybe it's if there's, a, if there's something going on at work that shouldn't be going on. Instead of, instead of sitting quietly, you, you remove yourself from it. It's what, you know, you've, we've got to find the things in our life where we are able to move forward in our next step as being a light, having that sphere of influence, and be unashamed of who you are. Because the more that people see you act different, not religious, the more they see you act different, yet still loving them, eventually, at some point in time, somebody's gonna wonder what's up with you. What's up with you? What is going on? Like, it may even be a change. Like, you, you are different. What's going on with you? And don't blame it on COVID. <laughs> no, it's just 2020, man. No. Then you got an opportunity. You got a choice to make. Be unashamed. Number four, stay hungry as a disciple of Christ. Come on, stay hungry. Don't get complacent. Don't get complacent. Don't think I'm, I'm good enough. Hey, I'm, I know I'm saved, so I'm pretty much got my fire insurance figured out. So I'll do my best with life, but I can't make any promises. No, stay hungry as a disciple. Don't ever get to a place where, you, where you're just going through the motions or you're okay with going through the motions. Don't just stay hungry. Be, per, be pursuing. That's why even when I started off, like don't, don't just think, oh, I came to church and, <clears throat> and that's what I'm supposed to do. And, and um, yeah, so that's good. So at least started my week out. Well, no, I mean, get hungry from this week about next week. Because when you come in and intentionally lean into this atmosphere, your life will be changed. Thank you again for joining us on the Combo Church Podcast. Special shout out to those who give so generously to Combo Church. It's because of you that this ministry is even possible. If you want to sow into the ministry, go to combochurch.com and simply click the give button. It's that easy. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, follow, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Combo Church. Thanks again for listening and make sure you tune in to the next episode of the Combo Church Podcast.